there is a lot here in these first three verses. Um, we first of all see Paul's position. He recognizes who he is before the Lord and he demonstrates that constantly through his writing and through his ministry. It's very typical of an introduction, these first three verses. It's not nothing really anything different than he's done before. Of course, it begins with the word Paul. We know who he is. Ancient letters always started with whoever was writing it. And, of course, we have our letters, and whether it be email or whether it be regular mail, we always put our name where? the end. So people are turning there. Who is this really from? And so you have to go to the end to see who wrote it. But um, the ancient letters, I think, got it right. Right off the bat, you know who it is, right? Of course, you have the email. You can you can see already who it's from. <laughs> you can imagine that when Philemon got this letter, how excited he was. You guys, do you get excited whenever somebody sends you an email or sends you a letter? Really good to good to say. I mean, when if, you know it's good, <laughs> right? I mean, you really get, want to get into it. <laughs> anyway, you can imagine his adrenaline just flowing. You know, this is from the Apostle Paul, and uh, he has a close tie to Paul because Paul is responsible for bringing him to Christ. So anyway, um, Paul is not only a, that great apostle, but he's He's very close, very dear to, to Paul in, in the heart there. So, by the way, uh, Paul had a lot to do with founding the church at Colossae, as Philemon did. Paul didn't go to Colossae, though. You know, he, he wrote to the Colossians, one of the prison letters. This is a prison letter here. Philemon in here is. I usually think of the prison letters as Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Here's the fourth one, Philemon. And, uh, of course, that's going to get into what that next phrase is about. Uh, Paul had personally led the man to Christ. Paul identifies right with where uh, Philemon's heart has to be racing here. This is a personal letter to him. And here we are, digging into a personal letter from one man to another, and we're reading it 2,000 years later or whatever, <laughs> and seeing you know the the little details of it, pretty incredible. So, what does he identify himself as? Paul, a what prisoner, prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is a note to tell us. Also, he's in prison. Now he's, but he doesn't say he's a prisoner of Rome. He says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And and this is the same kind of place that he writes from when he writes to the Philippians, the Colossians, the Ephesians. Like I said, this is the fourth of those uh, epistles. This letter happens to be to an individual, though. And uh, that's the only letter out of those four that he wrote to one person. Uh, at least, that we'll put it this way, that's inspired. It's in our Bibles today. I'm sure he wrote other letters. We know he did in, uh, to the Corinthians that we don't have that... Uh, were not inspired, but they were. I'm certainly would say that they were great letters. Um, he uh, never identifies himself in a way such as this. Usually, see what Paul and apostle of Christ Jesus, or Paul a bond slave 
of Jesus Christ. Here it's kind of related to bond slave, but now it's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So he's not coming with the aspect of being the apostle that carries weight, some kind of authoritative message. He comes in as a prisoner. He's speaking tenderly. He's speaking personally. He's speaking very warmly, compassionately, as a friend would be to another. I mean, and they are. They're they're really good friends. Very tender. And it's an appeal. This whole letter is going to be an appeal to the heart of, of Philemon. And so there's no need at all to refer to himself as an apostle. When you think of Second Corinthians, which we happen to be on on Sundays, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. How about to the Galatians, where he just riveted in on blistering them with um, their abuse of uh, actually legalism, getting away from the grace of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? And most and much of the time, that's what he will refer to if it's not uh, a slave of Christ. Um, anyway, the Romans would say that he was a prisoner of Rome, and they are the ones who captured him. They're the ones who, uh, I guess you could say that. Of course, you had the, the Jews doing that too. But uh, the Romans, uh, they uh, were the authority over Paul as an individual in that sense. But from the vantage point of God, Paul is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he was in prison because Christ put him there. Now that's radical, isn't it? Christ put him there. That's exactly where God wanted him. Not because Rome put him there, even though they did. It's it's the same way that, you know, of course, when you think of Jesus, you know, and the, the way he was arrested and crucified. Uh, that was all God's plan, but yet mankind still carried it out. They're responsible for that. So, um, he um, he knows who he belongs to. Um, matter of fact, if you remember in Philippians, he talked about greet every saint in Christ Jesus. All the saints greet you. Now, hang on, you know you know what goes on after that. Especially those of Caesar's household. Remember that? He was there and he was bringing the good news to people, to the ones who were of Caesar's household. You can think of the slaves, the servants, people that had worked there, maybe even uh, you know some relations there. So he sees the Lord as the Lord of Providence. That's why he didn't really get upset whenever he was captured taken to prison, taken to the local jail. He knows that God is moving the pieces on the board. And he's a, he's, a, he's a chess piece that God is using. When you think of the Pharisees, you think of the, the Roman governors, you think of the guards, you think of Caesar, right? You, you think of all those guys. And Paul knows that he's an ambassador in bonds for no crime but for the testimony of Jesus. And so Caesar's household, many of them turning to Christ because Paul was put in the right place at the right time by the right one, that being God. Turn to Ephesians 4.1.
Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Oh, what a way to start chapter 4. The first three chapters are what? Doctrine. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are practice. Doctrine, duty. Would you put that? Stay with the D words, right? And of course in Romans, same thing. Eleven chapters. A doctrine. And then chapter 12. Now therefore. Here we go. Therefore. I the prisoner. I had to circle this because... I would forget about this. I'd move on to what he's, you know, this calling, the man are worthy. But he's a prisoner. Well, whenever he wrote Ephesians, what was he? That's one of his prison letters. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philemon. Yes, he did. And he wrote some great letters. So when he says prisoner, he's, he's a prisoner at that time. I mean, really a prisoner in, in jail but really a prisoner of Jesus Christ because there's a purpose that he's going to be used there. So the guards just kind of gave him pencil and paper, right? <laughs> at certain times, he was, he was allowed even in Rome at one time to, ha- to live in his own house, only he would be chained to a guard, but all the people would, would be coming in and he'd be teaching and preaching the Word. He had people coming to him, to his r- rented quarters, that's amazing. Only God can set that up in Rome, the capital of the world at that time. He's doing his thing. He didn't have to go out. God gave him a rest. You know, he needed a little rest. You know, he goes out there with the wild animals and the wild people out on, on the roads and the roadside. People come to rob you and beat you up and people throw stones at you in cities and he has to be put in a basket or he's on the ship and he has shipwrecks. Now he's in a rented quarters. That's at a different time, but anyway. Well, you know, in the same way that, that a prisoner in today's prison system is able to get a phone call. Right. That's the equivalent. Yeah, kind of like yeah. yeah. I still find it a little <coughs> funny. Like, he's in prison, you know, and people are coming to him to hear the gospel and he's like almost living like a free man in prison having right to do you know what he needs to do for God. Yeah. yeah, house arrest is a way to term it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, God set that up. What's that? Oh, yeah, look at the letters that he wrote. Look at the, uh, being able to preach to individuals and groups coming in. What a, what a deal. Here, here's an impact, though. Hey, while I'm, I'm in prison, and I implore you, you're not in prison. And I want you to walk worthy of the calling that's been given you. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1 about the high calling that we have, Him choosing us and adopting us. I mean, that, that chapter 1 is just incredible. It just leads right on to, you know, into 2. It showed what we were in the past. But God, by His mercy. I mean, the, the chapter 3, the, the mystery. and Oh, just mind-blowing stuff. Ephesians is one of my favorite books. And... Um, Walking in a manner worthy of the calling after he says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. With, yeah. If he's calling me to do that, you know, I, at least I can do is 
be faithful to His Word, right? <laughs> Prison minister, that's right. Um, look at, in Ephesians six nineteen and 20. By the way, just to plug up for uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, he spent about a year in this, like from about first... 14, 15, somewhere around that area, through the rest of the chapter. I mean, one a week. Uh, it's about 52 messages. <laughs> Not on a whole chapter, it's a half a chapter. And, and of course, I, you know, Janice has been listening to all of those by, by Jones in Ephesians. And it seems like he must have been in that for maybe four, four or five years, something like that. Anyway, uh, where were we at? Verse 19. And pray on my behalf, and that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You don't have to pray that I get out. He says, I just pray that I can speak boldly where I'm at. That's 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 amazing. He is an ambassador in chains. He's a prisoner. Remember Ephesians, a prison letter. So, uh, go to Colossians four ten. Remember Colossians is another one of those prison epistles. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. I guess he was in jail too. Sends you his greetings and also Barnabas' cousin Mark about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Aristarchus, fellow prisoner, uh, Colossians. Uh, there's a letter. That's a prison letter. And of course, Colossians is related to Philemon. Colossae is the place where Philemon lives. So, uh, a lot in common there. It was for preaching Christ and it was for the sake of Christ. It was the will of Christ that he was a prisoner. Sounds rather radical. But that's what it's about. That's a sovereign God's view. Most people would say how sad it is that he would be in there. Um, Look, Philemon, if I can do this while I'm in prison, can you do what I ask you to do? Very kindly, warmly, affectionately. That's basically what he's saying to Philemon as he starts off with Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. There's a lot in that little phrase. You know, when you're reading it, you're tempted to go on and move on and get to verse 4. I've read this before. But all of a sudden, you start putting in what this means and what Paul's put. Every word that he writes down is inspired. Every word has a lot more depth than we can even imagine. Each one word at a time. Verse by verse, how about word by word? Prisoners Christ Jesus. His eyes, Paul, I think, as he makes an impression upon Philemon, who is really close to him, his eyes almost have to swell. He has to almost be tearful. Here's his beloved Paul, who loves him so much who had been led to Christ by him. And he knows he's bearing the pain and agony 
of imprisonment. And of course, we don't want to make light of that. I mean, he is there's a lot of there's a lot of agony that he's had to deal with through his imprisonment. So I don't want to take that lightly, but I really wanted to impress upon the sovereignty of God being that no matter where you're at in your life, God has you where He wants you. Isn't that great to know? Sometimes we go, why at this point? I'm glad He's got it in control. <laughs> right. Just like the weather. I could make the weather a lot better, you know, every day. Ha ha. God knows exactly what He's doing, doesn't He? He's in control of the weather. Acts 19.22 I'm going to be turning there because Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy's not writing this. But Timothy's with him. And the reason we're going back to Acts 19.22, we're getting a little bit of history. In Acts 19, you have Timothy, Paul, some of the other people in Ephesus are doing a ministry there. They were there like three years. Quite a place Ephesus was. Boy, there were some preachers that came out of there. You think of Apollos. Ananias and Sapphira had been there uh, with Paul. And then later on in church history, um, oh my, um, let's see. Um, help me out here. Uh, you had John. John had been there as a preacher. And then um, Polycarp. Yeah, thank you. Just escaped me. And so, this is quite a place of history of the church. This is how it got started. Guess who's with Paul? Well, one of them happens to be Timothy at this time. Shortly before that time, he had joined Paul. And he says in verse 22, And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. He himself stayed in Asia for a while. There was a riot at Ephesus that then came on after this. Just before that, though, Timothy had been sent on into Macedonia. Timothy had been with Paul. Ephesus is a place where Philemon is probably led to Christ by Paul. Philemon goes back to his hometown, which is not that far. It's still a pretty good little distance, but that's how the smaller churches, and it's a very small town, Colossae was. Paul didn't go to the small towns usually. What he would do is go to the major cities, and then they would establish a church there, and then he would move on to the next major city. The ones who were part of the church there then would take it on outward to other towns. Colossae being one of those, this is the place where they say that Philemon came into contact with Paul. And of course, if he knew Paul, I'm sure he had to meet who? Timothy. So Timothy's no stranger to Philemon. He means a lot to him too, doesn't he? Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, he knows him. He knows all about him. So that little history there should help us there. Uh, definitely a brother. He, he's acquainted with with uh, with the believers in uh, in Colossae. Paul is. Timothy is. Um, so I don't think there's any doubt. I would say it's very probable that he had met Philemon. Timothy had, and 
he's hearing a word from somebody he knew he knows. Um, why is he mentioned in Timothy if he's not writing it? Well, he's with him, right? He's singled out on this very introduction part of this letter because Paul knows that someday Timothy is going to be taking the baton. And of course, you read First Timothy and Second Timothy, right? We get the gist of that. And of course, Timothy traveled frequently with Paul. You got to have people to take that over. It wasn't going to be too long that Paul was going to um, be beheaded. Uh, this was probably written in sixty sixty two, somewhere in that area. So um, Timothy is very important part because he will be taking the role of the leader. So I, he identifies Timothy closely, very closely with himself, and you'll see that quite frequently through the epistles. So that should help when you read through Paul and Timothy because people would accept Timothy even more whenever Paul is identifying with him. That helps out a lot. So now we've, we've got the guys who are um, at least Paul's position and, and there's Timothy and that greeting. Now we get the recipients of the letter. There's Three names here. Uh, Philemon appears in that first verse. Next paragraph. To Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. There's a lot there. Philemon, a beloved brother. Word there for beloved brother is agapetos. Agape, right? Loved one, beloved one. He's a dear friend from Colossae. Uh, probably a, a native of Colossae. A resident in Colossae. Small town. little distance from Ephesus, but not too far from that area from Colossae is the lazing, lazy sleeping church. Remember that out of Revelation? Do you remember what church that was? Laodicea. Laodicea. Which we will meet somebody here in a moment who has ties to Laodicea and Colossae and Philemon. Okay, so Onesimus is, of course, going to be spoken of. Um, I think um, he's spoken of in the epistle to the church there as one of you in uh, Colossae. One of you, Onesimus. He was a person of, uh, Philemon is a person of standing and wealth. Uh, we can say that because he has a house. He has a house large enough to have church in because in verse 2 it says that. To the church in your house. We'll elaborate on that in a moment. But uh, right now we're speaking about this man has means. He has at least a slave. Maybe more. Um Wealthy people like him could contribute to the poor brethren, which there were many of. Um, it's it's nice to note here that even though Paul didn't visit Colossae, he wrote to the Colossians. Powerful letter. Very powerful. We covered Colossians not too long back, didn't we? Um he has to be one of mature years because he has a son that we see in this section, Archippus. Archippus, we find out, we'll turn to there later, but 
he had well we could look at that look in Colossians 4.17 if this is the same one and I tend to think it probably is it would make a lot of sense Colossians 4.17 most of your commentators will grant that this Archippus in Colossians is the one in Philemon say to Archippus take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it that's kind of sounding like letters to Timothy, isn't it? You you finish your ministry. You fulfill it. He has a ministry. His ministry is in another church, in another town, but he relates to that. He's probably close to there. He lives in this household here in Colossae with his father Philemon, yet he does a ministry in this other town. So it's kind of interesting. Um, we'll cover him in a moment. But anyway, so he has a son. The son is doing ministry. We're not talking about a little son, five, ten years old, fifteen. It's probably twenty-something at least. So that would make Philemon somewhat m- mature in his age. At least somewhat in his forties. Could be in his fifties. Maybe even in his sixties. We don't know. Uh, he could be the age of Paul. Paul is somewhere in the vicinity of 60 at this time, somewhere around that time. Most of the people in the Roman Empire who became Christians, you know what they were? Most of them were slaves. You ever heard of that? That was pretty well the norm at that time. Uh, Philemon is not. He had slaves pretty delicate issue to talk about today. Some people were free then. And you'll see that word sometimes. And uh, I think in the book of Acts, uh, free men were ones who had been slaves who had been released. So some of them were that way. Um, A few of them were wealthy. Not many noble, not many mighty, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Chapter 1, I think, really. Um, wherever you had a wealthy person that was converted, they would have a house. They would own their house. Slaves didn't own their house. They lived underneath the uh, the master. Free men wouldn't really have their own house either. They could live in apartments, rented quarters, single rooms, very small. And, of course, they would pay a really modest small sum usually. They didn't have a lot of money either. But wealthy people owned their own homes. This is his house. They're having church in the house. It has to be somewhat large to bring people and which is a church together, a congregation. And in the ancient times, where did the church meet? They met in homes. Um, Unless they were meeting outdoors, and that could have been sometimes, at least whenever the weather permitted. John Bunyan met outdoors, didn't he? And of course, he was arrested for preaching. For preaching the gospel. Sounds kind of normal compared to these times here. Um, church buildings didn't really start until about the 3rd century that uh, we know of. 
we know even today churches meet in homes. Some do. Of course, you hear a lot of them in third world countries, uh, it, it, definitely in, in the Islam countries, China. Yeah. And because they're not even allowed to have a building, you know. And they've got to keep the thing underground as much as they can. And that's a that's a difficult situation. But um, at this time, that's where they met. Could be because of money-wise and such. But So there wasn't anything sacred in the buildings. Wasn't any, anything sacred about homes. That's how this church got started out. It started in a home. We were there for quite a few years. But that's how the Lord saw fit. We had we were upstairs and had little kids sprawled out all over the floor and it was it was just jam packed up there. We lived in a pretty small home, but we I don't know, we had as many as thirty, thirty five, forty sometimes in that little living room and kitchen and down the hallways. And and uh, and then we had to move downstairs. We expanded <laughs> and then we finally came into town. That was around 2000, I think, that we moved into town somewhere shortly in that area. And then we back, went back to the house. And, of course, we used the store. You guys remember that? That's not how this Bible study started because it had started back at our house. That was the beginnings. But it moved into the store hoping that we could be affecting uh, some other people that didn't know about us, and, and it did. <laughs> I look out here, and I go... Uh, most of you. <laughs> Along those same lines, I'll just throw this in. I, I kind of wish I'd make a comeback, but I know in a lot of uh, houses in Europe, or, and I don't know when the practice ended, but they have rooms that were chapel, like family chapel rooms. Wow. I think that was a big deal. Just made yeah. especially for that, yeah. right? That's really good. When was that? Do you know? I don't really know. I mean, I can look at it. Hey, there you go. <laughs> really? Yeah, think about it. So he had to have had a pretty large home. We don't know how many people were meeting there. It's it's not a big town, class A, but yet you know, Christianity was spreading at the time. The times get hard enough in Revelation. Um, the church was persecuted more and more, like you know, the birth pains of a you know, pregnant woman. You know, it's going to come to the time where we're going to start meeting back in houses. Certainly, could be that again. Around getting as many people to Christ before you know they're after, really. You know, I think of Janice and Eldon, and I think of the Bible study that you guys had for years and years, long before we even uh, were in, involved with it there. And you had done that for a long time. I think it was kind of related to the church, right, that had gotten started. Was I right on that? Yeah. Uh, so you're talking, you went decades, I think, with that, right? Back in the 70s. More than, yeah, okay. So you were talking, going all the way up into past, well, in the 2000s. I'm not sure what year it was, 2005, six, seven. not sure. So you're talking 20, over 30 years at least. Yeah. So it's something special about Bible studies that are in a home. It really is. It's, it's intimate and at the same time I think some, some of the best growth sometimes is with groups like that. It's always been rewarding to us, you know, and of course 
always encourage anybody that ever wants to start a home Bible study, go for it, boy, you know. <laughs> Sometimes it would get into that, you know, you'd take turns, some people do that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the oldest known church that has been found, at least in the writing that uh, that I got from, was uh, in eastern Syria. It's a place called Dura Europa. I don't know what that means. I, I think Europas is definitely coming from Europe. I don't know what Dura. Tough Europeans. Dura, D-U-R-A, Europas. Okay. E U R O P A S, just almost like Europe there. E U R O P A S, like Europe, only just take the E off for the West. Spanish means that it lasts. Dura. Last. Tough. To endure. Okay, there we go. Endure. Uh, there we go. I think we got it. I think we might have put that together. Uh, so, anyway. <laughs> Um, it's interesting that there it is. It's um, in that particular place, and that dated all the way back to 232 A.D. That's what can be traced to where they think might be at least one of the first buildings that was made. So, but like we say, the buildings, all the stuff that's in it, and everything. We tend to think of church as buildings, and we grew up with that, and many of us did, and you know the church has to be a certain way. If you really want to look at the history of the church you don't start with buildings you really start with the people and and regardless of whether it's in a building or at home it's that's not the issue is it it's the people who congregate there that's what it's about. A lot of people think it's 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 holy you know because you have Certain things, you know, you have like a, an altar, and and uh, you know, but of course it, it it goes back. It really goes to the Roman Church and to the Tabernacle and and such, or the Temple, I guess. That reminds me of reading a few letters. The book is called Screw Tape. Screw Tape letters. And in one of them, there's a Worship, same worshiper writing a letter to the congregation saying that to keep them away from the church to make it look like you know like it's so holy or make it look you know like all oh, everything in it is like the building itself is mm-hmm. you know make it present itself as a as a thing that would repel people to make you think that you know when you enter in here you have to follow all these rules and stuff so to repel people like you're saying it's not about the building it's about the people that's so the true. History's perception is to get you to worship the creation, yeah. the creator, or right. whatever form. So it's a, yeah, the, the attractions, that yeah. the smells that's going on, the the, the pictures, mm-hmm. the the colors, the all the all the different things that's supposed to be sacred, you know, and of course. The Word of God that's there is what is sacred. Christ is sacred. The people are. Uh, nothing wrong with the church building, and that you know God has used that. But uh, you know, I'm not knocking it. You know, I mean, we have a building right here. It doesn't look like a church, and believe me, a lot of people are turned off because they would come in here and it just looks like a, a room that we're meeting in. I never even pay any attention to it, but I, you know. We don't need the the pictures. We don't need the symbols or whatever it is. 
you know, we don't have to have that kind of thing. It's it's the people of God under the the authority of the Word of God. So they were meeting in homes. Uh, he had a church in his house. Colossians 4:15 here would probably be good to turn to. A little bit of character. What was going on there in Colossae? Um, here he's writing to the Colossians. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea. Okay, now he mentions Laodicea. It's a, it's a town that's close to Colossae. You know, twin. We think of Jeff City, Columbia, right? I think uh, they were a lot closer. I don't know the miles, the distance there. Uh, I think much walking distance, uh, very much so. He says, greet the ones who are in Laodicea, kind of like a sister church. And also Nympha and the church that is in her house. So there, at another, instead of Colossae, he says, okay, at Laodicea is the other little town. And happens to be Nympha there. Nympha has this house. It says, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. So there's the circular letters that are happening. And uh, so they get to build each other up and trade trade the letters that were being sent around. Um, so we got the idea of people being slaves for the most part. Here we have the uh, house churches. You know, things are in a just a really easy way, not complicated here at this time. And then he says to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, our dear friend, he's saying, beloved, agapetos, beloved one, fellow worker, it's a term that Paul would use with people that worked alongside with him, that actually worked with him. Philemon ministered with Paul too. And he's a loved man by Paul. Of course, if you minister with somebody, you can't help but love them. If you worship with people, you can't help but love those people, right? They become very valuable and dear to you. And so he's responsible for the founding of the church there. Of course, Paul had founded Ephesus, made an impact on Colossae because of this guy who passes it on, and other churches that were in Asia Minor. So you see what Paul did when he was at Ephesus? It spread on out. Laodicea and other little towns in Asia Minor. And so Philemon knows Paul in a real personal way. This is the apostle Paul, and he knows him personally. Something to be said about that. What a friendship. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> um, verse 24 of Philemon. As do Mark, Aristotle, oh, uh, uh, verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. So he calls all these guys fellow workers. These went along with Paul. Many times he was with them, or then he would, he'd be in a certain place, and they'd be sent out somewhere else. 
and go do ministry there. They they were quite a quite a group of them there. Boy, these guys are all stars here, aren't they? Now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he says fellow prisoner here, and then he says fellow worker, which would be um, the, the the fellow worker uh, he, he worked with him alongside him. But I'm sure that he could call them that too. But he, he, they were in ministry with him. Quite the friendship. Now there happens to be one who is the woman of the household, and he says, and to Fia, our sister. That's all he says right there, a fear sister. And then it's like she's a dear friend too. This is, I think, no problem. This has got to be Philemon's wife. Um, matter of fact, if you look in King James, it'll say, a fear our beloved. A lot of other translations will say sister. Sister's probably more accurate there. Our sister in Christ, right, is the thought. How many of them have sister here? Most of your translation, sister. Okay. Anyway, she needs to know about having a friendly reception too because it's her home and she's part of this along with her husband. And so it would be just as important as her to understand this as it would be for Philemon. And it would be very natural that this be addressed to both of them and not only them but also their son, Archippus. Archippus, our fellow soldier, he calls there. Uh, we we meet his name in the epistle to the Colossians. I think did we read that earlier? Yeah. And there we get he filled some ministry in the church of Laodicea. Cities close. It's possible that he lives in Philemon's house, and then he goes and he ministers also at Laodicea, where he goes over there and, and does that on a very maybe a daily basis or weekly basis. He calls him fellow soldier. I think this is a very gracious, affectionate way in a sense because here's the Apostle Paul coming and saying that you're a fellow soldier, Archippus, you know, in that sense. He just has a kind of a a narrow way of his ministry in a small area probably not a lot in that church at that time. It's a little sphere. And here's Paul, who's the apostle traveling all over the world at that time. A much wider ministry. And he's saying that you're my fellow worker. We're doing the same task. Very humbling for Paul to say that. Could have taken advantage of that. Almost like, you know, you need to look up to me. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was um, in Alexander McLaren. He has a real good commentary on this. He says it like this. It's very beautiful that the grizzled veteran officer, like Paul, think of, you know, okay, comparing it to soldier, fellow soldier. A grizzled veteran officer should thus, as it were, clasp the hand of this young recruit and call him his comrade. Boy, how that would go to the heart of Archippus. The Apostle Paul. And everybody looks up to him, but he says, look up to Christ. Paul does say, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? They see the angel, and then they fall to worship the angel, and the angel says, Don't worship me, we're brothers. 
worship the Lord, you know, <laughs> so it's kind of almost the same almost. Exactly. He gets on on his level. You know, what's what's so big about Colossae? There's really not much there. There's a church there, and here's Archippus there. And in Philippians two twenty five, he says, "But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier." What is he calling there? He calls him a brother. Calls him a fellow worker. Calls him a fellow soldier. Listen, we need to learn how to encourage other fellow Christians in the body of Christ. Before someone leaves Bible study or church, go up to them and you know, call them this name or say, hey, it's a it's a it's a privilege to sh- share alongside with you. You know, those kind of things are really helpful. They go a long way. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he says not only that, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Well, he called him a lot there, didn't he? So he uses those, and he builds people up with that. Well, the next phrase will go quite rapidly, and we're about near closing. I can't believe we got three verses, and I still haven't finished it. I thought, well, we might get out of here five minutes early today. I didn't really think that. (coughs) Sometimes, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) How many times have we heard that? I love it. I love it. Grace is free, undeserved, unmotivated, self-springing love. It comes from God. Grace. Right? Grace, it comes from... Father comes from the Son here. That's the means of salvation. Grace is. What's the next word? Peace. Peace means we now have peace with God. Romans 5, verse 1, verse 2, all in that area. That's right. Exactly. An excellent word. We've been reconciled. There was a war. We were enemies. And we've been reconciled. We're going to be doing a song next Sunday. What's it called? Reconciled. (laughs) And that's the one that says... All things, right? Yeah. How do you get that? We're reconciled. We have peace with Him. He's the one that made it. He gave us peace. That's the fruit of grace. So, whenever you see grace and peace, think of it this way. Break it down. Grace is the means of salvation and our sanctification. Everything else. But it's the means. Peace is the result of salvation. It's the fruit of the grace. It brings out the distinction also here between the Father and the Son. The Father is the very frontal source. The Son is the flowing stream out of this. As He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And and in the Greek, you have the Granville Sharp rule. Remember that? Granville Sharp. There's a rule in Greek and when you have these words put together like this, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, now in the English it may not come out that way, but it means that the Lord Jesus Christ is the same as as far as being in the Godhead as the Father. This is a word for His deity. And grace. How dare anybody to stand alongside God the Father to give grace, right? It can only be from God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so, uh, anyway, that's a high tribute. Um, yes, it is. Sorry, I'm going to be a devil 
I have to get it. Why would he leave out the spirit? And like I noticed that throughout a lot of the different letters. Holy Spirit's writing this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, does that Granville Sharp rule does that apply as well? So like whenever it would include the whole Trinity, the whole Godhead. Yeah, I, I think, um, of course, we think of the Holy Spirit, you know, the work that's done, and, and he could very well put put him in there and do that. Much of the letters, uh, you know, you have God, Father, and Lord Jesus Christ to start off with. If you look far enough, usually, probably within, and not necessarily here, but within the next verse or two, you'll see the Holy Spirit there. You see a triune God so constantly. In here, um, I don't know why, Really, yeah. but well, he, you know, he does, and he didn't even have to put Jesus, Christ, or he didn't have to put God the Father. He could put just Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And sometimes it'll be that. And that's a that's a good question. Why didn't you put the whole triune God there? But I guess the Holy Spirit didn't see fit of being of being put in there at that time. Although he's the one that conveys yeah. the grace to them right, no as they live out the Christian life, and he's not going to be able to forgive without the Holy Spirit. But at this time, it's silent on that. But we all know, knowing the rest of the Bible has much to say about the Holy Spirit. Of course, we were in Corinthians uh, dealing oh, yeah. with the sanctification ministry that he does. Um, you know, a lot of the New Testament. Um, after the ascension of Christ and after the apostles received the Holy Spirit, uh, I've noticed that it's all really based around the Holy Spirit. You know, it's all about moving in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, putting hands and filling people with the Holy Spirit. That's the action, isn't right. it? Right. And so it seems to be very much about the Holy Spirit. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that in today the Holy Spirit isn't really present in many people who claim to know Christ and is in the churches today. I think that's the downfall is that. Uh, the Holy Spirit. It's not because the Holy Spirit can't be there, but it's because I think that um, that it's kind of like it's not there because of us, because of our our disobedience. You know, because I know Jesus Christ came down with grace, but you know, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, you have to live according to Jesus Christ. Well, one of the fears of, of a, a more casual Christianity is that if you start mentioning the Spirit in any kind of more powerful stance on God, other than the good values and, and principles, mm-hmm. you're you're trespassing into charismatic territory. Mm-hmm. The charismatics have taken the Holy Spirit and stolen Him from everybody else. So it can be a knee-jerk reaction, right. and now people don't want to say anything about the Holy Spirit. And it still sound like a Pentecostal or a, you know, somebody who's uh, a little bit loony for God. <laughs> there can be a lot of mystical aspects right. that's involved in but if we look at the biblical Holy Spirit right. and his action and his role we have to be speaking about him constantly how else can we live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit right. but so often it's done in some kind of uh, uh, yeah strange things right. going on and of course yeah Spirit. Um, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but the Spirit is always um, exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, and maybe in this greeting, that's you know he, he's 
he, he's not exalting himself. Right. Right. He's you know he's there to bring. He is the spirit of Christ. Maybe that has something to do with the way that, that it becomes worded here, but you know, at any rate, uh, we all know that he's in this. Yeah. And we know that people uh, cannot confess the name of Jesus, or that's it, it's the Spirit. So right. right. Exactly. I mean, the Spirit is even called God, even called Lord. Uh, you know, all these things in other places. So. Well, um, that's probably a good place to uh, leave off there. We we did get to uh, the end of verse three. There, we uh, I was going to talk a little bit about the theme, which is forgiveness, but we'll leave that for next week. And uh, some people say, well, this is really a story about how we're to look at slavery and how it's to be abolished, and that's really not the theme at all. There are other reasons why people will say it's other things, but the theme is about forgiveness. And we'll we'll impress that upon ourselves as we go through this, and with that kind of setting, that uh, should help us as we as we go through. Um, there's a lot to be said about slavery here, and how does a Christian to view it, and how did they view it at that time? Well, a lot different than than we would. Of course, the times were were different, and it was done differently. But at the same time, uh, we'll try to get a few answers on that. But uh, that should cover us going into the next section next week. Labor is only as bad as the master. The book of Moses, isn't it? It talks about what you do when you Not all play. masters are bad. And it's like if you, if you like really injure them or like cause them to lose eyesight and they're right, supposed to set up free and stuff. I'm not really sure. It's been a while since I've read it, but I know that it stuck yeah. out to me because of because at that time it was that's kind of a big deal. People were making a big deal about it. Um, after reading that, it's like there's and I heard a uh, Harry Stone and I heard him talk about slavery and the kind of history that was with it and stuff. So how they were pretty much basically almost free, like many of them. They could have their own houses and their own you know property and stuff, but they were still slaves. And, you know. A worthless place was somebody who couldn't read or wasn't even teachable, really. Somebody who just worked out in the field. But they had talent, you know, they used those talents to benefit themselves. Historical wise, I, I had to go looking up some stuff when you talked about the Dura Europas. Yeah. It actually started out as a synagogue in AD 165, and it became a Christian chapel. It was a house that was turned to a synagogue and then it became a Christian chapel in 232. Huh. Currently, it has been destroyed by ISIS. Oh, ISIS. ISIS. So it was there until re- recently. recently. Thank ISIS you, Debbie. That's good insight. Boy, that Appreciate that. The, the other oldest chapel that was inside a house was Charlemagne. Hmm. He had a chapel in what is now... A- Aachen, Germany, A A C H E N, and that one still exists. The castle was destroyed, but the chapel part of it, that little in-house chapel that he had, is still there. And that was in 936. So then, definitely buildings were played a huge role at that time. But in the 200s, we know that that was. That's interesting. Thank you, David.
Well, let's close with prayer. Father, thank You for this evening that we've had. Thank You for Your Word. And uh, Lord, that we may draw out of this to bring it into our, our lives and be able to practice these things. And uh, it's, it's good to see how the early church worked and how we are to abide, by, uh, abide in this Word to live it out and ever impress that on our hearts. Thank You, Lord, for giving us Your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes.